professional confidence. He's jacking it no matter what. So, <laughs> oh, but yeah, he, he's got a rational confidence. He's gonna, he's, he's looking to score at any time. That you know, that made me giggle. I'm super immature. I'm sorry. Well, I I, I audibly giggled. Let's go. Today's show is brought to you by FreshBooks.com. Get a free 30-day free trial at www.gofreshbooks.com slash holybackboard. All right, everybody. Welcome to the 69th edition of the Holy Backboard podcast. I am Dustin here in rainy Rip City, and I got my man. Sage chilling in. I don't even know the weather in Southern Oregon. It is straight trash. It's been snowing. It's been raining. Straight trash, dog. But I did cook a fantastic barbecue uh, lunch. So I'm feeling good about life right now, bro. And I'm coming off a four-hour power nap after having fried chicken and biscuits and gravy for brunch. So what will not be trash is this podcast. And a very and southern we have lunch, a bro. Special, yes. And we have a very special guest. He has been on uh, the podcast before. Uh, Brandon Goldner at Goldner PDX. Thank you so much, Brandon, for uh, joining us. What's up, fellas? Great to be here. And I myself, were, I was dodging those raindrops. I went out, played some basketball, did some shopping, got some food. And like the second I got home, it started raining. So I'm feeling very fortunate in this moment. Well, what did you have for lunch since Dustin and I already talked about it? <laughs> I had some Chinese food, this place called Duck House, downtown Portland. Pretty new yes. restaurant. Yes, yes, yes. Is My Charles fucking loves Duck House. He actually got them to cater... Uh, for dumpling day and it was amazing so what can i say this food because you know you know i'm gonna have to i have to know a little bit about this what kind of chinese food is it i think it's like just kind of traditional chinese food szechuan chinese food their dumplings are amazing they're homemade and like they're wontons and uh it's i mean i think that the oil that they use to fry their food in is super fresh super delicious i mean this place is off the chain a plus awesome well i think now that we got our, our food yeah out of the now, way, now we're through part of the podcast it's taken a lot it's taken 69 episodes <laughs> before we just dove into food first topic <laughs> but hey it's finally here and i i'm glad to be finally a part of portland broadcasting and podcasting so i'm happy wait so let me bring the- up one one more irreverent topic have either of you guys played the new zelda game by chance i know it's only been out a couple days i have not i've been on that 2k grind bro uh, no okay <laughs> i was i was grinding on 2k until that game dropped and i just have to say uh, if you're on the fence about buying it buy it immediately it is amazing it is mind-blowing what's, what system are you playing 2k on uh i 360 for 2k so i'm kind of behind the times all right, behind the times. I got excited to hopefully try to find a new two K uh, buddy, but apparently you're not that guy. I'm not that guy, and I'm also playing the new Link game, not on the Switch, but just on the Wii U. Um, so I'm like one system behind. But you know, I mean, that's 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 what you got to do sometimes. Just got to get the new games on the old system. They work almost as well. <laughs> no, 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 they don't. I need to see the. I need to see the sweat. Pouring off Damian Lillard's face to know it's real. Your video game elitism is showing hardcore right now, Sage. I, 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 
whatever. I mean, I, I got <laughs> I got both systems now, so I, I'm I, I'm just happy that you know I could play good graphic games. So. Well, let me say something, something else about 2K really quick is that I had just started playing it like last week. I hadn't played it before in so many years. And I put, what is it, the virtual currency, the VC, mm-hmm. bought some VC, was feeling good. So my save got corrupted. Oh, I've and, been there. Yeah, so my save got corrupted. And so I'm Googling how do you fix it? And it's all instructions for Xbox One. So I'm like, you know, save corrupted Xbox 360. Couldn't fix it. Go to support. They literally just told me tough shit. The money that I spent, it's gone, not coming back. Mm, and I was just like, there. that's not good customer service. In there, man. But you know they, they, they can replace you in an instant with another person trying to buy their shit. I mean, like, I've spent a lot in that in-app purchases trying to make by my team better. They're not getting in, they're not getting another dime from me. That's it. I'm done. 2K. <laughs> How dare you? I mean, I, I just, like, I, I think 2K is one of those things I'm just too addicted to to stop. So it's like, I, I can't leave you. It's something I feel good about. I'm better than almost everybody else I play with. I can't not, I can't not feel this way. I need this in my life. Ugh. I just have to say, for the time I did play, it was super fun. So oh, I will good. say that. Yeah. Okay. Back to uh, <laughs> Trailblazers basketball, everyone. Uh, a lot has been taking place over the past week, not only in Rip City, but across the NBA. I think first and foremost was the official announcement that Festus Azalee is undergoing the knee surgery and is going to be out for the year. And the reason that it took so long is that he was looking for a cadaver donor. I posted this on Twitter, like what was taking so long? Somebody literally replied he was waiting for a cadaver donor. And I thought he was just kind of fucking with me. I had no idea this was even a thing or a process, but apparently Carson Palmer did it when he was with the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, I think in 2005-2006, and he's been perfect ever since, but they are saying this procedure could set Festus back another year, maybe a year and a half, and with his contract being non-guaranteed next season, it's hard to believe, even if he does make a comeback, it would be in a Trailblazers uniform. So does this... Oh, you first. You first. You're the guest. I'm sorry. Two two quick things about that. One, do you think it took so long because the dude is like seven feet tall? And two, two, if so, do you think that Festus's people went out and killed someone in order for him to get that cadaver? What was it? Cartilage or something? Do you think that they put a hit on someone so they could get the right size cartilage? Answer one. Yes. Answer two. Probably not. I'm so glad I let you go first. I was just so happy I let you go first on that exchange. I was going to say, does that make him tradable because there's teams that are over the cap, they can just cut him, medical insurance will take care of the rest, and they'll have $10 million. No? I mean, it's past the deadline. There's no way Portland's keeping him this year. They need uh, no, to no, cut no, no, him. No, no, no. I'm talking stay. about next year. Like no, the there's draft. no way Portland keeps him. No way. No, uh, is he tradable now? Well, he'll be a free agent. Like, there's, I don't think there's any, even if Portland, I don't, I don't see any scenario where Portland keeps him. Because no, they're no. straddling that luxury tax yeah. line. My, so you just cut him. Word. Because I, why would you... I know you said, if he, is he tradable? Uh, I don't think so, no. I think... In the, and Portland tried to trade him at the trade deadline, mm-hmm. right? And they weren't exactly. able to do it. Um, I think Roy Hibber got picked up for the same thing where it's like, okay, he's dead money, but at least he can sort of play. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, I mean, Festus's contract is a $1 million, uh, partial guarantee and, uh, you know, Dustin, I agree with you. I don't think that there's any way. I mean, hypothetically, they could 
what is it? Is it is it uh, seven million if they guaranteed the rest of it? Correct. I mean, they they could do that and then try to trade him, but based on the tepid market for him this year, I don't think that that's probably in Olshay's calculus at this point. Also, if you're Paul Allen, you're thinking to yourself, I spent eight million dollars on this guy. Yes, it was probably a risk you had to take, but you're not going to get burnt twice. Why? Would, yes, he's a billionaire, but that's still a lot of fucking money. Yeah, totally. Well, my thinking is totally based on uh, me being a fan of the Pelicans and knowing that Quincy Pondexter is basically, he's on the books. He's not going to ever play again because he has like three knee surgeries, but he's on the thing. So if they trade him, that's just basically money going into the other team. They The other team just has to pay like $500,000 and then medical insurance will take care of the rest and then the money, he's off their cap completely. The thing that's tough with the medical insurance is what if the player decides he wants to play again, like Brandon Roy did, and really kind of screwed the pooch for, if you're thinking Paul Allen, because he was considered to be medically retired, he comes back and plays, what, 10, plus, 10 or so games with the Timberwolves, and that contract became fully guaranteed again. Same thing happened with Darius Miles. Uh, he was claimed to be medically um, retired, and then he came back, I think, with some random team like the Grizzlies. Or yep. something like that. And do you remember and the the Blazers threatened other teams in the league, saying, "Do not sign Darius Miles." I remember do that remember thing? that now. Yes, yes, that was, that was crazy. Yeah, I totally remember this. So, if if I'm Paul Allen, I, it's not worth the risk. It's really hard. Just like an athlete, when you ensure yourself to not get hurt, uh, I, be, I I believe Ifo Ekpere Olamu of the Oregon Ducks actually was, I think, the first athlete to successfully cash in on that policy. Um, and all of these athletes have taken out policies like that. So it's got to be almost like a perfect storm to get that medical insurance. Why not just cut your ties now mm-hmm. and not have to pay him a dime after the season instead of, you know, signing him, paying him however many weeks into the season. And then you find a partner um, just for the offhand chance you might get a top 55 protected second round pick. I don't Fair Well, Here's the other thing that I don't I don't think this is being talked about enough or maybe no one cares when Azili made those comments a couple months ago, he said something along the lines of, well, the way that my knee was treated, we didn't, we either didn't do it the right way or we tried to rush things back. And now I'm in this situation where my knees are even worse. That that's a troubling thing for me to hear. And I know that the Warriors are making a title push. And so probably not only from the team's perspective, but from his perspective, he probably wanted to come back and he probably wanted to play, but if he's truly claiming in public that they rushed him back and maybe didn't give him the proper medical care the first time. And now his career might be over. I don't know. Do, do either of you find that to be, be troubling? Cause to me that, that struck me as odd when I heard that. So I'm actually going through the, a similar thing with Quincy Pondexter. The year that the Pelicans went to the playoffs, Quincy Pondexter was like a major part of the rotation. He had an injury from the training staff to play and now has been out for essentially three years. So, like, at the time, I was thinking, no, we need this playoff berth. But now, three years later, a coach gone, all that stuff. I'm like, man, Quincy really ruined his career for four games. It seems like a humongous waste of his talent and his career, and it wasn't safe on his part. So I think with Azili, I mean, now you prob- we probably don't think of it as a big deal. But, you know, when he's on his next team, it's really going to hit us, hey, that shit sucked for him in that situation. And correct me if I'm wrong. I believe I heard this somewhere last night when the news, because news broke on Friday, I believe, 
that Portland apparently cleared Festus to participate, but Festus's people said, no, we want to go this cadaver route. Um, do you think there's any, not negativity, but any sort of, any sort of animosity between Festus and the rest of the organization? I mean, they did hold him off of that road trip that Jason Quick teased like nobody's business and then wouldn't say anything about it. Do you think that has something to do with it? Um, it just seems kind of like a weird situation all around that not, and if this is true, again, I, I'm not certain if all parties weren't on the same page. Yeah, it's possible. And, you know, the Blazers wouldn't be the first team even this year to be in a situation like that. You think about Chris Bosch, what he's dealing with in Miami. He really wants to come back. The team is either, depending on your perspective, they're either being cautious or they'd like to get him off their books. And the Blazers themselves obviously have a history of players either, you know, being mistreated by their medical staff or supposedly, I mean, Bill Walton being, you know, one of the more famous examples. And it's tough, right? Because when you're in the medical profession and you have an injury to someone who's that big, it's maybe something they haven't seen a ton before, even if it's the type of injury that they're familiar with, with someone that big, the physiology is different, right? So the opinions may vary from doctor to doctor. So you're left in the space of, well, as the player, I'm trying to gather information, trying to make the right decision for me. And yeah, you might have the team and the players' representatives being on different pages. And it very well could be that the Blazers and Azili's camp were not on the same page. And you're right, uh, when you mentioned that, I, I thought about the, the Jason Quick thing too. If there was something maybe imminent at that point that didn't end up working out before the trade deadline. But uh, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's definitely possible. And I just pulled up a, a Blazers Edge recap of a Jason Quick interview on um, The Fan. And Isaac Rappas, this is back in January, uh, middle of January, said, you know, is Festus going to play this year or should we write that off? Quick says, I don't think he is, but I'm hoping to sit down with him soon. I talked to him after last game and he said, I don't want to do any media. He's feeling a little burned, I think. So I'm hoping to find out sometime on this road trip and just kind of pick his brain. Um, And Isaac Rapp responds with, you mean he's burned by that Chris Hain things, Uh, the whole, you know, CJ shit up deal. And that was in reference to the ESPN article written by former Blazer beat writer Chris Haynes, who mentioned that uh, CJ and Festus kind of got into it over Festus, you know, kind of giving the team some tough advice and that can kind of come off negatively when you're not playing in the eyes of the other players. And Jason Quick said, yeah, there's some other stuff going on too that I'm not really going to throw out there yet. Um, he says, "There's I don't want to burn that right now, but there's other stuff going on behind the scenes. So there could be, um, a little fuel to that fire where there's just so much more going on that we have no idea about. Yeah, I think that's totally possible. And by the way, it is, it's interesting. And, you know, I, Jason has been doing this for a long time and he's, he's good at what he does, but it is, it's tough when you as a reporter are to say, Hey, I have this big thing coming, but I can't talk about it now. And then you don't say anything at all. And I wonder if perhaps maybe the situation may have changed since then, or perhaps he made a calculation that I'm just not going to talk about this until the situation's fully resolved itself. And maybe it was a thing that he, that, that, that Jason thought that, that Azili was out the door. I mean, we've seen with the Blazers, with other teams, as soon as a player leaves, that team is very quick to begin criticizing them. We heard a lot of that with Marcus Aldridge. You heard a lot of that with the Kings and DeMarcus Cousins <clears> left. <throat> yeah. The one, uh, their their TV broadcast, yeah, was just flaming on Boogie. So, I mean, you know, maybe it's one of those things where he's just not comfortable talking about it until he thinks the player is leaving. Maybe he thought he was leaving and then he didn't leave. So that could be part of it. 
Yeah, I'm just wondering if that has played into any of Portland's inconsistencies this year. Like nobody's been able to kind of crack the code as to what's been going on behind the scenes because there's really no explanation as to why one of the youngest teams in the NBA coming off a second round playoff berth, 44 wins, played at a 55-1 clip once Aminu was inserted into the lineup, all of a sudden could not figure it out defensively, could not get up to play the bad teams, and was just the most Jekyll and Hyde Blazer team we probably had since the 01 meltdown. Um, and I think we saw a lot of that this week. Portland went 2-2 two and two and now sits 26-35, and 35, ninth out west, still a game and a half behind the Denver Nuggets. But if, if you look at those games, you're, you're looking at Toronto, which was a 112-106 loss. The next game was a 120-113 overtime loss in Detroit. They come home, two big wins, 114-109 over OKC on national television. And then they put up 130 and a 14-point victory over uh, the 10-win Brooklyn Nets. But looking back and kind of looking at the week as a whole, Portland should have really gone 4-0. And that's kind of been the microcosm of this whole season. What can go wrong will go wrong. And they're finding new ways to lose games. You look at the Detroit game, Contavious Caldwell-Pope gets called for a technical foul. Damian Lillard misses it. However, we score in the next possession. We would have won that game in regulation had Dame made that technical foul. Uh, you look at the Oklahoma City game. We were up nine with like 80 seconds to go. And they had a shot to win the game. That just can't happen. And I don't know why they're so mentally fragile right now. Because those are things that... And you just watch that Oklahoma City sequence over and over again. You know, CJ's throwing the ball cross court out of bounds. We're giving up tons of offensive rebounds. Um, it's almost like they're scared to have a lead. Is anybody else seeing that? Sort of. I just see a lot of mental breakdowns. I mean, you mentioned it, but like even the missed game winner by uh, Russell Westbrook, Mo Harkless died on that pick. I don't know what's up with them. It, it's weird. It's either they don't want, they're scared, or they just become extremely undisciplined. I, I really don't know what it is. I I think that part of it has been a season long uh, period of adjustment to um, Evan Turner. Uh, I think part of it is that Alfred Camino was has, hasn't looked good until basically post All Star break. He's starting to look quite a bit better now. He had injuries. He was inconsistent. Um, you know, you got rid of Gerald Henderson, which for all of his faults, he was doing really well by the, by the end of the season last year, Alan Crabb hasn't progressed. Myers Leonard has probably regressed. Um, and so I think all of that kind of played into the Blazers identity as a team was a young upstart team on the upswing and they made an, just enough changes and there's just enough inconsistency to begin the year where they kind of faltered. And here's, here's a thought exercise that I think about when thinking about this year's team, and last year's team. Can you imagine if these two teams were just switched this year to last year? Last year, imagine three first-round picks in a deep draft. This year, imagine a magic second-round berth. Expectations are a hell of a drug, and that's something that Nate Duncan has talked about a bunch preseason. Kevin Pelton of ESPN talked about a bunch preseason that the expectations of this team were going to be very, very heavy. And yes, you could say that up to this point, they probably performed even below what their talent level would, you know, I would say this team is probably at stasis, like a 500 team, not as good as a second round team, but not as bad as a team they've been. So for me, I don't think it's so much as that they're afraid to win and more. They, they, they've had in this odd period of adjustment where we all thought, well, this would be continuity coming into this year, not a period of adjustment. 
And it has felt very much like an adjustment year uh, despite that. Have they really had to adjust that much, though? You look at a team like the Utah Jazz who bring in a new starting point guard in George Hill, uh, two really solid backups in terms of playing time in Boris Diaw and Joe Johnson, and they're fighting for home court advantage out, out west. We really only swapped out Evan Turner for Gerald Henderson. We didn't rely on Myers Leonard at all last year because he was um, fighting that shoulder surgery. And yes, Aminu has picked it up, but this team, their whole rallying cry was chemistry. Like we've played together. We're, you know, scrappy. We're young. Nobody believes in us. You know, 26 wins, Vegas. We're going to prove you wrong. And they had all of that coming in. They have all the momentum in the world and they're still faltering. Yes, Alan Crabb hasn't progressed as much, but he hasn't regressed. He's literally statistically performing identical as last year. Damon CJ are better and they're still way behind their pace that they were last year. So I think there's something just going on that can't account for what we're seeing on the court. Yeah, I think that's a fair take. I mean, here's another variable to throw in is that this team, the NBA has had another year to look at what this team can do, what their strengths and weaknesses are. Last year, you know, Damian Lillard's the leader of this team for the first time after Marcus Aldridge leaves. CJ McCollum, he had a good series against Memphis the year before, but he didn't really get minutes until last year. And so perhaps coming into this year, teams like, okay, we know how to game plan. We know what to expect from these folks. And look, I've never played in the NBA, obviously, and I don't know how long it takes for teams to adjust to how other teams function. So maybe that's not a fair argument, but that could be part of it is that the Blazers just became a little bit predictable. The other thing that I've been seeing from Damian Lillard post All-Star break, he looks much, much better. If you look at the at the game since the All-Star break, he's been averaging about 30 points, what, like six times, five boards. Um, he's shooting about 50%. He's shooting really well from three. The five or six games leading up to the All-Star break, he was slogging a little bit, didn't look very explosive. So, I mean, when, you're, when your team's best player is dealing with nagging injuries, could that have been what it was? Maybe he was pissed off about not being selected the All-Star team. We know that Dame plays the chip on his shoulder. Could, have, could it have been something mental like that? He needed to reset. But I don't know. I mean, and of course, we have Nurkic. I don't want to spoil the rest of the podcast. But just to say, the Blazers have looked, to me, substantively different since the All-Star break. I mean, they should... They should have won that Detroit game. They easily could have won the Toronto game. Um, they took care of business the last two games, but I don't know. Well, it's, it's an interesting time in Blazerland, that's for sure. Especially because I think they're they're equidistant from playoffs and a high lottery pick, right? So it's like <laughs> tanker playoffs. And you mentioned Dame's post All Star stats. So in five games, he is averaging twenty nine point four points on nearly fifty percent shooting from the field, an amazing forty three percent from from downtown to go along with seven dimes and 6.2 boards. And Sage really called us out early in the year when Dame was carrying us. It was the rebounding that really stood out to both of us. And he's been doing a much better job on the boards. I think the all-star break did help his ankle a lot and kind of gave him that second wind. My thoughts on that are why the hell was he playing before? He is our franchise. This season is a lost season to me. I, I don't care if you get the playoffs or a lottery pick, whatever. It's it's not what we in, had envisioned. So let's not risk our franchise on a season that nobody's really going to remember five years from now. And we can see how amazing he plays when he's healthy. Yes, if we take a couple extra losses, that's fine. But it also gives CJ McCollum the experience to be the man in those, what, seven to 10 games that he got last year. So if there's anything wrong with Dame, I know he's like Wesley Matthews and wants to tough it out. But you have to, you, you know, you have to work smarter, not harder. 
and, and you've been crying from the mountaintops. We need a post score. I think having Nurk in the lineup and Dame just being able to throw it into him, that saves him a few, at least a few possessions where he doesn't have to do everything. So for most of the year, it was Dame, CJ, and 10 others. Now he can take a little bit of a break and focus on winning time when it actually is winning time, not burning himself up in the third quarter or shit in November when he was being Superman for all those games. And he also has a legitimate pick and roll threat yep. on offense. I mean, let's not, I was... forget, let's not forget about that. Yeah. I mean, as good as Robin Lopez was, he still wasn't the finisher that, that Nurk was. Plumlee was really not a threat at all on offense unless it was the lob. So you're looking at the, the Blazers, probably the, the, the best center in terms of the pick and roll. I want to say since maybe Duckworth, you know, Sabas was more of the traditional dump it in, cut, he'll make a fantastic pass. But Nurkic is a really amazing threat to dump it in there. And he's such a big body and he's got nimble feet that he can really make those. I want to say those, just those millisecond decisions like, mm. Oh, do I need to spin move? Do I need to power it up? He is agile at 280, and he's only 22 years old. So that's what's giving me a lot of excitement and hope for this team going forward that we finally have that big to help Dame and CJ. And, and vice versa. Who the fuck has been Nurk's point guards in Denver? Jameer Nelson, who's a hundred in dog years. I think I made that joke. <laughs> I made that joke last time, but whatever. Still good. I like it. Still good. But like Emmanuel Moutier has had an awful sophomore year, and he wasn't good his freshman year. So like Dame is boost his play is boosting up Nurk's play. It's not. It's it goes both ways with them helping each other because Nurk's the best center Dame's had and. Uh, Dame is the best point that Nurk's had. So, I mean, it, it, it all works together. So, I, I just want to see what they can do, develop. Like, once they go to San Diego next year, I think that's going to be a big thing. Just develop the, that chemistry in the last 23 games, 22 games. Yeah, what really what really jumped out at me, I mean, one play that really has, has kind of uh, crystallized what Nurkic is bringing to the Blazers, the end of last game, uh, he sets this nasty pick for CJ. CJ gets in the ball and then CJ cuts right to the basket. And like you said, a millisecond decision, Nurk just hits him with a bounce pass in a very tight window, way tighter in real time than maybe it looked in replay. And then CJ got the land. I mean, to have someone who is not only huge and can set good picks, but who can shoot. I mean, the guy can shoot himself yeah, he's and he can... Yeah, he's respectable. I mean, you, you saw his you know workouts during the All Star break. He can he's going to be shooting threes next year. Book it. I mean, that's going to be my prediction next year. Nurkic will absolutely be shooting threes, no doubt about it in my mind. But he can pass too. So I mean, this is I I agree that it's it's funny to say this. You know, five games in small sample size theater. I think this is the most legit uh, center the Blazers have had in a decent little while. And I also think that I I was surprised uh, at how well he's been playing. And maybe it's a honeymoon phase, but. If it's not, if you can keep up some shade of this, the guy's only 22 years old. The Blazers have possibly found a permanent center. He's not going to be like their third best player. Yeah, I saw a lot he, of, you know. I, oh, my bad. I saw a lot of like people on Twitter saying, this is our third guy. No, he's going to be a very, he's going to be a starting center. But I, I don't know. I, you I, look, who else, who is better than Nurkic outside of Damon CJ on this team right now? That, I mean, no one. We don't have, no one. We don't have the talent and we overpaid, for, like, but. He he's he. I don't think of him as like 
the third option on a playoff team. I think of him as a very good. I, th- I see him as a starter. I said he was going to be an eighteen and ten guy, but I don't think of him as the third that's option. Third good. That, that's third player number. I, I was very optimistic uh, three episodes ago, but like I don't see him as the the legit third guy, the guy that's going to make twenty five million dollars when he's a free agent. But I well, see him he probably a, will because the cap has exploded and he's a seven-foot young big. So let's fair probably enough, fair answer that question right now. Yes, the dude's going to get paid when his rookie deal is up. But I think the number everyone is forgetting about, 22. He's 22 years old and he's doing this now in just finally getting starting minutes. So if we think this is his ceiling, we're all going to be completely wrong. We see him put in the work over the All-Star weekend. We see what we he can do when he's motivated. And Dame is definitely one of the better leaders in the league. So I really think, you know, health permitting, you know, knock on wood, the sky's the limit for this guy. I'm not saying he's going to be an all-world center, but I think he most certainly could be the third best player on a very fucking good team. Well, the other thing that's pretty amazing about Nurkic is that he's not super fast and you don't need him to be super fast. And despite that, again, last night he gets a defensive board. He starts the break, goes coast to coast, gets fouled, gets the end one. It's wild. I mean, the dude, the dude's huge. And he's also, you can tell that he's out of shape. He's admittedly out of shape. Again, I think that next year when he's had a summer and that's what Denver fans are saying too, he came into shape this year and then he just kind of got demotivated and, you know, got fat again. But I, I'm, I'm super excited to see, I mean, this dude, you're not relying on his elite athleticism. You're not relying on him being super fast, but he's got, he's got great feet. His handles are good enough, and he can pass, and he can shoot. He can set a good screen, get a rebound. He can block when he wants to. I don't know. I'm pretty stoked on him. And again, I know it's what, five, six games in, but I, I, I do think that if the Blazers want to be a top-level team, um, they could definitely have him as the starter on that team. And I did not think that before the trade. I didn't think that before the trade. And now, even in a small sample size, I'm thinking that, yes, he could be the long-term answer at center. And so, yes, it has been a small sample size, but look at the bigs that he's had to go up against in just these five or six games. You're looking at Rudy Gobert, uh, Nikola Vucevic, Jonas Valanciunas, Andre Drummond, Steven Adams, and Brooke Lopez. Not a cent- not exactly chop liver of the NBA um, you know, centers, and he's more than held his own against really all of those guys at any certain points of the game. And his post-All-Star numbers have been really fantastic you're looking at 14.8 points on 54 percent shooting he's shooting pretty well at the free throw line for a big 69.6 percent to go along with eight eight boards almost five assists two blocks and a steal i love that he fills up that stat line and i would say that the the thing that has surprised me most again the passing and how nimble he is i thought he was more of that lumbering Al Jefferson type of center. I was surprised that he's so light on his feet. Um, he's doing this only learning what a third, maybe a half of the Blazers playbook. And again, he's just finally starting to get minutes. You know, he's getting 32 minutes a night. Once he gets in better shape, he gets, you know, closer to 36 minutes a night. You're looking, like you said, Sage, 18, 10, 6, 2, and 2, which is insane. What What I want to say is, yeah, those names are very good and it's, it's good to see that he's doing well against them, but they are all traditional bigs. I want to see what happens when, I know we won't play him again, but a team like Houston, I want to see how he handles guarding a more small ball, skill ball oriented team. I, I just need to see that before I can 
crown him the Well, I don't think Clint Capella is going to take him out on on the perimeter. No, but like that time And we of- saw we saw Brooke Lopez do that too. Brooke Lopez had a nice game, but that's Brooke Lopez is one of the best centers in the league. So I think even though they're not like Houston, Brooke Lopez is almost that revolutionary five now because he is just shooting threes. He's catching and shooting. He did a lot of that last night. And he, like you said, he he did go up against the defensive guys like Steven Adams and Gobert, but he also went up against those big bullies like, you know, Valanciunas and Vucevic. So I do want to see what he does up against, you know, the, the New Orleans front line coming up. I would like to see how he does play against Houston, but in terms of Clint Capella specifically. No, but like th- that type of not basketball, good. the more... Yeah, he's yeah. definitely going to have to get in shape to play those type of track meets. Because when we saw him against Vucevic, for instance... He was so timid about leaving the paint. Against some of those teams, like the, the, the small ball type teams, he has to be able to at least be respectable on defense, and he was so unwilling to leave the paint. I just have to see what he does against, you know, a, a small ball Ryan Anderson, or, or just I'm on defense. It's just I just have to see it. Well, to play devil's advocate, do you think Terry Stotts told him not to leave the paint, though? Because we, we don't know. We don't know if that was uh... – Nurkic's call or if it was, you know, coming in from the bench. Well, and yeah, and you that's a good point about Terry Stotts, too, because he's traditionally had his bigs hang back, which is why it didn't really work with Mason Plumley, right? Because that's not where his strength lie, uh, where his strengths lie uh, with Robin Lopez. Yes. And here's the other thing, too, just speaking of Terry Stotts, a lot of credit to Terry Stotts. Look at the passing renaissance that Mason Plumley went through in his time in Portland. Look at what Nurkic is doing in his very few games to get him assimilated that quickly. You know, I mean, doubling his career assists uh, at, at any point during his career right away for someone who's just coming into a team, just learning the system. That is very impressive. So a lot of props to Coach Stotts for what he is able to squeeze so much blood out of a turnip. It's it's unbelievable. Well, while Brandon was talking, I was kind of looking at my tabs, looking for for the next topic. And I think. Throughout Rip City, the, the debate is, do you want to make the playoffs or do you want the lottery pick? Um, I think everybody who's listened to this podcast knows where, where Sage and I stand. <laughs> However, where, where do that you said, stand? I wanted oh, them to take lot- November. <laughs> lottery, pick, lottery pick or bust. I, okay. I will tell you, I wanted them to win. I predicted, I was I was on the, the bandwagon, mm. uh, not the bandwagon, I was drinking the Kool-Aid hardcore last year. He was making the Kool-Aid thought, last year. Yes, I was stirring that drink, and they hurt me so bad this year by <laughs> underperforming. It's like I put in so much faith and time and effort, and you come out and play like just absolute dog shit, and that hurt. And there was a game, I think, in early February. We had just turned it around a bit, and Dallas came in. Dallas jumped on us like 18-1 to 1 or something like that. Yogi Ferrell had a career high, and it was like a game we really needed to have if we were going to move up the standings and you know catch a Memphis or an Oklahoma City. And to see us come out like that again, you know, so slow, so sluggish, no energy, um, I was just like, you know what, this team needs a draft pick because I, don't, I didn't want the eighth seed at the time, even if KD's hurt, I don't want it now. I really thought if we could make that push like we did last year to – to even catch Memphis or OKC, like, yes, let's totally do that. But I don't want to backdoor into the playoffs with 36, 37 wins. Like, that's that's not a good look. Um, and we've just had too many of those games this year. Another game that comes up was right after that, you know, amazing game against the Cavaliers when the weather gods were against us and we're getting in at, you know, 2 p.m. in the afternoon and we crushed the Cavs on ESPN. What do we do? We, lo- we lost to the Orlando Magic at home. 
I mean, Land of Magic are 23 and 40, and we lost to them at home. Um, again, another slow start. So, you know, I know we've won two straight now, but I'm just kind of pessimistic to the point where I'm waiting for, okay, when's shit going to hit the fan now? Like, what, what's going to happen now? Um, might be a shitty approach to the season, but it's like I've been burnt too many times this year. So I'm kind of being uh, very tentative in my um, expectations for this season moving forward. I mean, the Blazers single-handedly got Yogi Ferrell a two-year contract uh, based, exactly. on, based on how he tortured the Blazers. And here's the thing. I, I'm with you. I really wanted them to win. But when you're looking at the standings now, the NBA, it's a really weird year in the NBA, and particularly in the Western Conference. There's this morass of sub-500 teams. The Blazers are very close to getting a top-four pick. I mean, Ed Davis is out. Evan Turner has been out. They traded away Mason Plumlee. They have three first round draft picks. I, I, I am very much, I am very much on the lottery train at this point. And look, you can still have fun, competitive games where you try yeah. hard, make it fun for the fans. That doesn't mean you have to just roll over. But I would yeah, very nobody much nobody wants to lose by forty. No, so I, I, I'm with both of you. I'd very much like to see them be competitive, but you know, maybe lose a little bit. It's a good year for it, not only because of where other teams are, but because of the draft. Um, it's a good year for it, in my view. I just saw how and, undisciplined they were this year. I'm like, oh, they're not a good team. A draft pick would really help. And I saw that like when Kevin Love broke the record for points in the first quarter in a quarter. I was just like, ah, uh, all right. And we're undisciplined. You look at- you look at Portland as a city. You're not attracting free agents. We've been there, done that to me. It's not happening. Where does Neil Olshay thrive? The draft and via the trade. What does he have to do to draft? He has to have assets. What does he have to do to trade? He has to have assets. Outside of Damon CJ, we didn't have a whole lot. He really turned Mason Plumley. That was like water into wine right there. I don't know how we got Nurk and a first-round pick, considering all the other deals that went on. Um, definitely, I think, a top-three move at the deadline. And you're right, Brandon. Portland is super close to, I would say, that Kings pick via New Orleans. Uh, they have 38 losses. We have 35. But we're also close to getting the 15th pick because uh, you know we're only a game in the loss column behind Denver. I'm setting myself up for reasonable expectations with this team. I know we're close to a very high lottery pick, but there's with the Kings moving boogie, there's no way we're catching them. I realize there's no way we're catching the, the New York Knicks. Um, Minnesota is going to be tough. I know they're playing better. I'm really thinking like 10th, 9th or 10th is probably our best case scenario going into the lottery. And probably 15th is probably the, the lowest I could see us picking. Um, when you look at it like that, it's not that bad. However, I just would like to have one that shot at getting the top three pick because we landed the number one pick in the seventh position going into the 07 lottery. And the following year, I think we were ninth or 10th and we were one combination away from landing that Derrick Rose pick. So just that chance is exciting. And uh, I know we've heard reports that Neil Olshay and Paul Allen uh, don't think there's a considerable, considerable difference from 10 to 11 to 15 in this draft. I wholeheartedly disagree. I think there's always going to be that player that drops. We see it every year. And if one of those small forwards is there around 10 or 11, uh, Portland needs to snatch them up in a hot second because this draft is amazing in point guards. I think it's got some good young bigs, but the small forwards are really what Portland could look to acquire. And Damon CJ, they're going to be so good that we're not going to be able to completely tank. But I just I hope we get that that chance 
And if they do make the playoffs, you know, I'll be the first one out there buying tickets and rooting them on. Let's just not get fucking swept then. Like you're talking playoffs, playoffs, playoffs in the media. If you get there, you better not, better not, you know, just roll over. Well, I mean, Kevin Durant may not be back. He's been reevaluated in four weeks, but I mean, you know, a, a grade two sprain and a bone bruise, a bone bruise, people don't realize, or maybe they do, but a lot of people don't realize a bone bruise is kind of a big deal. It's like almost breaking your bone pretty much. It's not like a bruise on your skin. Like you're destroying some of the, 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 the content of your bone as it were. So, I mean, he may, he may not be back. He may not be a hundred percent. We saw what Steph Curry looked like last year in the playoffs which is why the Blazers almost got past the Warriors. And then he didn't look right in the finals. And, you know, you could argue that was part of the reason why they lost to Cleveland, but I, I look, I, and I'm not, sorry. I just, I, I'm not saying the Blazers have a chance to get the Warriors with or without Kevin Durant. <laughs> right. They don't, okay. I, they don't. So let me just, let me just say that. But I, what I mean more is, I mean, Dustin, to your point about, getting swept. I think if they make the eight seed, I could see them getting a couple games, particularly depending on how Durant is doing. I could see a game or two. The Blazers have always played well against the Warriors, by the way. And I also think that perhaps by the end of the season, Evan Turner's back. Nurkic is feeling a little bit better. Maybe Aminu, maybe his slump is totally gone. You never know. Game or two isn't out of the realm of possibility in my view. A couple of points. One, is there any value in it for Portland long-term if you make the playoffs and you're pushing a depleted Warriors team? Um, two, I don't know if Evan Turner necessarily makes us better. I've seen guys Ooh. shine in larger roles. I mean, Shabazz um, Muhammad. Uh, no, Napier, excuse me. Shit, Shabazz I Napier. I mean, Ed Davis was taking a little bit of playing. I, I think this team was too deep to start the year. Now you're finally seeing a shortened rotation, guys knowing what minutes they're going to get. Um, I'm not saying Evan Turner was the reason for any of this shit that happened this year that that's not on him, but I do think it's going to be a tough adjustment for him coming back because guys are finally starting to get their role. Like you cannot put Mo Harkless back to the bench. He does not perform well coming off the bench. He needs to start. Um, I want to see Napier play. I I think he's, he's earned his spot and it's going to be another tough adjustment. I think we have too many similar players who need the ball in their hands and uh that's going to be on Neil to address this offseason so I think it's going to be tough with with ET coming back and then lastly uh, sorry that was a long-winded answer does it how far do you think it sets us backstage if, if we made the playoffs immensely I mean just think our draft pick is going to be the 16th 17th I think there's 11 people I would like to have on the team. I, I I don't know how we would do with the the 17th pick or whatever it is. I mean, it's nice for. I mean, we make money, but I don't I don't th- oh I don't think it's. It, it, damn it! <laughs> I saw his cat. Um, <laughs> I saw that too. Damn it! Uh, yeah, I, I think it sets us back a lot. I'm also thinking, okay, let's say Neil O'Shea really loves Josh Jackson. Let's oh, say he's a, who he drops some, some reason to four, like he's at four. It's a lot easier to move up using 10 or 11 plus your other assets than 15. Man, if jo- oh, yeah. I would love Josh Jackson on this team. Yeah, and well, you, you bring up a really good point too about people having defined roles and maybe having too many players. There's something that uh, – Matt Moore of CBS said as a response to people looking at the Nurkic trade and saying, Oh, the Blazers totally fleece the nuggets. 
and it's true. Like the 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 Nuggets didn't have room for Nurkic. He wasn't going to thrive on that team. Yeah, he was they a could sunk use cost. someone like yeah, it's a sunk cost. You could, they could really use someone like Mason Plumlee. So um, it's not basketball. Is definitely not like you know a, a, a fantasy league where you just grab the best players and throw them in a big pot. Like there are people, there are emotions. People get jealous. People get frustrated. Um, so yeah, I think that that's a really good point that, that team composition is definitely part of the calculus when you're trying to work all this out. It may be a sunk cost, but it is a terrible sunk cost because I, I, like I said, Boogie going to the Pelicans for that package. That's the number one trade. I think Portland getting Nurkic is number two. And then three, I think you look at what Dallas did getting Nerlens Noel for a top 18 protected pick, which will not be conveyed. It'll be turned into two number twos. And currently, they're they're killing the Oklahoma City Thunder. If they win that game, they will just be a half game behind Portland. And they're a team that's finally healthy. They've got some – they kind of remind me a little bit of the Blazers last year in the sense they've got a lot of players looking to prove themselves. You look at Noel. You look at Yogi Ferrell. Uh, Seth Curry. And, of course, Wesley Matthews is always looking to prove himself. And then Harrison Barnes getting that max deal who is like, okay, I was ridiculed in Golden State. Now I'm producing – they're a team that I think might actually end up eighth. If, if, if we're if we're looking at Denver, Portland, and Dallas as really the three teams, which I think currently I think that's a fair situation. Absolutely. New Orleans has New Orleans has a lot of work to do. Uh, that San Antonio game would have been huge. They're going to have to catch fire, so I'd put them you know on the outside looking in. But if we're looking at Denver, Portland, and Dallas, I think Denver's going to really struggle down the stretch. They seem to have a lot of inexperience and that shows in their games. Like they'll hit 24 threes against the Warriors, but then I believe they lost to the Nets and then they lost to the struggling Hornets um, at home and Portland, obviously while we have our issues, we still have two of the best players of, of any of these teams really fighting for it. And we, we seem to want it. And then you've got Dallas who Dirk's been there. Carlisle's the best coach of the bunch. Noel just adds that defensive intensity. So I think it's going to be an interesting race for that eighth seed between those three teams. Um, I would give the edge to Dallas and Portland. I think Portland is essentially going to get it. I've kind of accepted that whether I want to happen or not. Um, well, I want to get your guys' thoughts. Who do you think is is in that race? Do you think it's going to be somebody other than Portland? Well, Portland, I think of those teams has the easiest remaining schedule, right? So that's going to help. Um, I, you know, I think that Portland probably will end up getting it, but I don't want them to. The thing that you can never really plan for, though, are injuries. Somebody could get hurt at some point. It could change the complexion of the race. That it, you know, maybe not Portland, maybe one of these other teams. But yeah, and right now I'm feeling I'm feeling Portland myself. Maybe it's just because I'm unwilling to want Portland to be in it. But I think it's Denver sixty percent, Blazers thirty, and Dallas ten. Um, yeah, I think the only thing that derails Portland, because we know they have the 10 of the last 12 at home. However, right now they have seven of the next nine on the road. If they go through there and completely kick the bucket and go two and seven, one and eight, that could just almost push them too far back to where front office is like, OK, we want no part of the playoffs at 34 wins. Like, let's have some pride and not try to get get embarrassed by the Warriors. Um and isn't the next, like, 10 really jumbled together? Like, in March, all, almost all the games are really, like, jumbled together, like four games and five nights. Separate. Yes. We play 17 games in 31 days in March. Yep. March wow. is always the toughest month for, I think, the Blazers. We always get a ton of games in there, and I don't know why the NBA does that or they don't extend April a little bit longer, but it's pretty ridiculous. I mean, you're looking at um, 
back to back. Monday the sixth, Tuesday the seventh, Wolves OKC. There's another back to back. Um, there's three back to back, four back to backs, five back to back, five back to backs in March. And the Blazers pretty consistently have one of the worst traveling schedules, right? Just because where they are geographically. Um, yep. I mean, we don't have any teams up here. And the golden days of having both Vancouver and Seattle right in our backyard are no longer. But um, yeah, I mean, it's I, it's funny. Have you how how well have the Blazers played on the road this year? I don't have that in front of me. I don't know if you do. Um, Ten to, and twenty-two. It's not good. Okay, it's not good. No, not good. Looking looking at the bottom of the West. Uh, the Mavericks at eight and twenty-two, the Suns at eight and twenty-four, and the Lakers at seven twenty-six only have worse road records. So we are bottom, bottom, bottom of the West in terms of our performance on the road. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the Blazers are probably going to sneak into the playoffs, but man, I would, I don't know. I and and something you said earlier too, just to go back to, so the Blazers have these three draft picks, right? So you could approach this differently. You could do some draft aid trades. You could pick like a super ultra project. You could do a draft and stash. My view is that I, I'm thinking that they're, they're going to want to bundle those picks and move up. And this is where Neil O'Shea's draft savvy really comes into play because if they have one or two players, they're really identifying and they really want to take their shot with it. I wouldn't at all be surprised to see them bundle, let's say the Cleveland and the Memphis pick. Um, and maybe then have like two kind of like mid round picks, or maybe they could take their own pick and Memphis pick and move up. But I'm interested to see what they do with those because I, you know, where their roster's at, they can't afford to have three people on their team for sure. And I, I don't think Blazers draft and stash has really gone all that well, if memory serves. No, I wouldn't draft and stash, especially at the stage of Damon CJ's career. I do like the point of keeping our current pick where it is. And then you're right. Let's move. If somebody falls to 17 or 18, let's move Memphis and Cleveland and, and get up there. And then if there's a guy in the second round, just buy that pick. So you're still getting your three picks, but you're getting the three guys that you want. I would be somewhat leery of moving all three for a single player. I've seen that backfire with the Houston Rockets. Um, When they packaged all those up, uh, they got, I believe, Eddie Griffin back in 2000. And one of the guys they gave up was Richard Jefferson of those those three picks. Um, so, So that can always be scary, especially in a deep draft. I know we all get kind of lost in the excitement and the the luster and like the lure of a guy like you know josh jackson or jason tatum but this draft is so deep that you could find i mean theoretically we've seen in history you can find guys anywhere in the draft i mean you know Kawhi went 15 or 17 or something like that and you're always going to find guys there so there's a there's a lot of risk in packaging all three but i like the strategy of moving our later two and moving those moving those up and um one race I've been really watching outside of our pick is just seeing if Memphis and Cleveland continue to lose. Houston has passed um, Cleveland in the standings. So right now that Cleveland pick stands at 27. Memphis has lost two in a row. Um, however, it's still 21. And with Kyle Lowry out for an extended period of time, there's a chance they pass the Raptors. And OKC is about to lose their third straight. So they're going to stay in front of them. So I think as long as that pick, I would love to see it hover at, at a 20. But I think it could be as as low as 22. And I know that seems minuscule and kind of minor right now, but if a guy drops and he's within three spots of your pick, you want to be that first team to have that, that shot at it. Um, you know, all it takes is one pick. So that's why each of these, you know, position battles moving forward in the lottery and in the draft order as a whole 
um, are something to keep an eye on as we finish out the rest of the regular season. Yeah, and here's another thing too, uh, that Cleveland pick, and you said that they're starting to lose a little bit more. The way that the contracts are structured, it almost feels like late first round picks are worth a little bit less than mm-hmm. an early second round pick because you don't need to pay you don't need, play, need to pay the players much money, and it's right? not guaranteed. Yeah, that's and it's not guaranteed. Correct. However, if you do find your stud in the second round, you're gonna have to pay him sooner and pay yeah. him a lot more. Yeah, Yoke, just think Jokic is gonna get paid out the wazoo. Like Monte Ellis, Paul Millsap, all those guys, Isaiah Alan Thomas. Crab. Yep. If you get picked in the second round, your contract is only, I think, like two years, and then you got to pay up. So that's why, and I, I always like picking earlier. Like I know you can find studs in the second round, but if your scouting is good enough, you should find them where you're, where you're drafting. And um, I just love the idea of finally having some assets, finally getting some some draft picks on this roster. I know Nurkic is 22, and it's almost like a de facto, you know, young player. Um, but we really haven't had a draft pick that we've picked since CJ McCollum. I mean, drafting isn't like a 100% process. I want as many chances as humanly possible to hit on the player. Because if he hits and he happens to be a late first-round pick, that's just going to change the the franchise so much. I mean, we don't get free agents anyway that are needle-movers. And with this new CBA, we're just not going to get it. Like now, it's moved to like zero zero point one percent chance. So we got to hit on these picks, and we got to hit, you know, and trade. That, I mean, that's how teams like ours have to be constructed from now on. Well, and speaking of that, are either of you two what What is your thought on where Neil Olshay's job security is at this moment in time? I know the Mason Plumley trade was a good trade, um, but you look at what he did. This last offseason, you look at how LaMarcus Aldridge walked for nothing. I mean, you know, outside of some good drafting, uh, his trades have been kind of bargain basement sort of trades, right? Uh, I'm just curious, what is your sense on how how safe of footing is Neil Olshay right now with, with this Blazers team? I think he's pretty safe. I, I think this year, I mean, I think he's going to keep his job. I mean, unless it's some miraculous fuck up i think he's keeping his job for the next like two years you can't blame him for wesley matthews blowing out his achilles yeah what do you think man no well no i don't think you can blame him for for that by any stretch and some people like criticize him for the aflalo trade and i don't at all that was the right move at the time that that team that team had a had a legit shot which was bizarre and awesome the thing i do i would knock him for a little bit is how lamarcus aldridge was handled um there were some rumblings that he had a little bit of discontent that maybe he wanted to leave, that he wasn't giving a clear signal to the team, and that's fine. But in my view, and I'm not sitting his in his office, I know it's a tougher job than than maybe I make it out to be. You're, but in my you're view, hanging out with us. I mean. <laughs> yeah, for sure. In my view, my biggest knock on Neil O'Shea is getting nothing in return for LaMarcus Aldridge. You, you cannot let a franchise centerpiece, or who was a franchise centerpiece at that time, leave for nothing in my view if you had some whiff that he didn't want to be there you probably should have moved him and gotten something in return imagine if the blazers had a couple extra draft picks or maybe a good play i mean it's just man to think about that that he just left for nothing i do hold that against neil olshay a little bit only because there was some information that marcus aldridge was maybe not super satisfied with his role in portland I do agree with you there. However, Paul Allen could have just been like, nah, we're competing this year. There's no way we're moving him. And we, like you said, we were contenders at that time. And 
I do think LaMarcus probably re-signs. I'm so thankful he didn't. I hated watching him play um, his style of basketball, but that's neither here nor there. When West went down, that was post-All-Star break. So All-Star trade, or not All-Star, post-trade deadline. So it was, you know, you risk a huge backlash by dealing, at the time, your franchise player when you're in the midst of a really deep playoff push mid-season just because you think he's going to go. Um, I agree. I would have moved him the summer before. Um, there were rumblings there, but there, there's also another way to look at it in the terms of you're going to get a lot of fan backlash if you move L.A. when, like you said, we had a really legit shot at making a deep playoff run. And we even added assets like Aaron Aflalo, uh to make that push happen. It just, you know, shit happens. That's really all you can say when, when West goes down. And then I think that really took a lot of wind out of our sails, especially considering he was the, the heart of the team at the time. I, I kind of consider Neil as a a GM. I think his major problem is he's a little too optimistic. So do you think that there was a chance in his mind, okay, Wes got hurt and that sucks, but I can convince LA to stay if need be. I think there's a little bit of that overly optimistic with Neil. So he, I think in his mind, he totally thought he could have kept LaMarcus if everything worked out. Like, he could have kept him. But I really wasn't. And let's let's not forget, LaMarcus Aldridge, after the Houston series, I want to retire as a Blazer. I want to go down as the best trailblazer of all time. This isn't, it takes two to tango here. I don't think we can all put this on Olshay. LaMarcus was a tease and led everyone to believe that he was going to resign here. That's fair. Well, the the other thing I would maybe hold against Olshay is this offseason. I mean, the Blazers offseason was pretty widely panned as one of the worst offseasons of any team in the league. Evan Turner signing, the Alan Crabb signing, maybe to a lesser extent Myers Leonard, but focusing just on Evan Turner as Dustin's cat makes another appearance on the pod. Um, the Evan Turner signing. So the, the thing that, that I think all of us were shocked by the by the amount of money that Evan Turner got. Um, and the thing that really got my goat is that it sounds like Evan Turner was shocked too. That's never good when the player who's being signed basically says, I can't believe I got this much money. So that I, I think was, that was a miscalculation in my view. The, and I knew that I know the Blazers had to use their money this year. So I don't, I don't knock them for using the money. Um, I just don't think that was money particularly well spent. And it's also tricky to blame him for matching on Alan Crabb. Cause I mean, asset retention, as you've both said, Portland has a tough time attracting free agents. So maintain, you know, keeping that asset and maybe being able to use it later in my view was, was not a terrible move, but the Evan Turner thing, I, I think that's, that's a little bit of a knock against Olshay as well. Yeah. The one thing I, I don't like when I read national media and their rankings of off seasons is they don't have the finger on the pulse of Portland and the Evan Turner thing. I completely agree. We sounds like we could have got him for a couple of million dollars cheaper. Um, I think that would have been gravy. I didn't particularly love the Evan Turner signing at the beginning, but it is what it is. Hassan Whiteside said we were the bridesmaid. Uh, we were the runner up. You can't make him come from Miami to Portland. That's a really big change, especially for someone who was already the franchise in Miami. And you also look at what Portland was up against. It was a rising cap, which never should have happened like that, in a year where Portland had three restricted free agents. 
Alan Crabb was matched by Paul Allen. Paul Allen was not going to let him go, especially after seeing all of those players leave. Uh, Mo Harkless was signed to a fantastic deal. Actually, of all of the signings we did, the Myers-Leonard one kind of made the, the least amount of sense to me. Um, that's a guy I thought we could have got for a lot less just based upon his production. But overall, I think it was the perfect storm of the cap rising, Portland having three young restricted free agents and having cap space in what really was a pretty terrible free agent class, considering K- KD was going to one of two teams, LeBron wasn't leaving anywhere, and all of the restricted free agents were going to get signed up. Um, so it, it's tough for me to really blame Olshay for this season because he, like all of us, was banking on these guys taking the next step. You're Portland, you're coming off of, like you said, the second round playoff berth, and you're a young team, and you have all this chemistry. Everything was working in the right direction. By all accounts, the moves should have worked. They just didn't. So I think there is a little hindsight when looking at his 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 signings. I think he did completely bail himself out by getting Nurkic. The one thing I will say that worries me are his targets for free agency. We've seen him go after guys um, that kind of make you shudder. Like we could be really screwed if we had Chandler Parsons instead of Evan Turner. Because that, con- that-, that contracts even more of, of an anchor. That's where I was going to go next with that. And this is my last shot at Olshay. And Olshay, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. Um, you know he so does. You know that he does. So when the Blazers went into free agency, their need, in my view, was a defensive big. There were a couple of defensive bigs available. Some of them haven't worked out this year, but there were some available. His number one target, the, the person that he sent his franchise player to go meet on the stroke of big night was Chandler Parsons. Now ignore the fact that Chandler Parsons has been injured and been playing terribly this year. Let's even assume that Chandler Parsons would have played at the level this year than he has in years past. That is a puzzling number one target in free agency, given the Blazers needs. I think that was also a miscalculation. And now I know just to give him some credit that when you're making those decisions, you have been on the phone with agents. You're taking the temperature of those agents. You're figuring out who's likely to come here and who's likely not to come here. And maybe with all that information that we don't have, maybe maybe that was the best person to focus his resources on in the stroke of midnight, but it was Chandler Parsons. And to me, that was also a little bit puzzling given their needs and given who was available at the time. Well, we did have a meeting set up with Hassan Whiteside, but once he got that max offer from Dallas, he immediately ran to Miami and said, hey, I've got it here. Pay me or I'm going to keep meeting with these other teams. That's the first thing. The second thing is it happens so fast. You're making guys decide on the fly. Are you going to come here? Are you going to not? Apparently we gave Parsons uh, until 6 a.m. the following morning. He didn't answer. So we moved on. Like it goes that quick. Guys get scooped up. So it's such a fast paced environment that it's not like Kevin Durant where he gets to wait until July 4th to make his decision. All of these other guys, there's money on the table and you almost have to just dive it and get yours first. Yeah. I, I think like if if we got a list of who was willing to come here, which is a humongous issue, then we can talk about how Evan Turner was a bad signing. Like if I don't know, Kemp Bazemore was willing to sign here, yeah, we'll go over after Kemp, but I don't think he was. So I, I just need to know who was available before I shit on Olshay for that. He, everything he did was right, but it failed. And I, I've gone through it before. I mean, I. Everything he did, you know, the research, he had to resign the research free agents. Right in the premise, right in the idea. If it was a different world, it probably would have worked. But it, in this one, it just failed. 
I, maybe. I mean, think about Evan Turner. You could have probably re-signed Gerald Henderson for a lot less and potentially gotten more productivity from that. So that's one alternative. And I, I will say that you're you're both but right, if, and it's good. But Neobel's optimistic, and, so, and Evan Turner would be the, the third playmaker that we've, we've been needing, and he can play some defense. We can maybe work on his stroke. Maybe he can hit it 34%. I mean, it's. I, I'm not there to know. I, I can't shit on him for his decision without knowing all the information. Well, and I will say that what you're both doing is really good by being thoughtful and mindful about this, adding the nuance, because there are so many more moving parts to these decisions than maybe uh, that I would think of at first blush. And just to play devil's advocate to myself, one thing that I asked uh, a decent number of people after they made the Evan Turner signing and matched Alan Crabb was, well, what should they have done with their money? What were the viable alternatives? And I didn't get very many good answers at all. And so, uh, you know, I, I do think that, uh, to use a very overused phrase, at the end of the day, that it's very possible that he did the very best given the information that he had, which we don't have access to, and given what was available. So that's, I, I definitely hold out some some portion of my thinking that maybe he did the best that he possibly could have done. Yeah. And I think just to finally touch on Turner, I thought they went after him because what Portland really severely needed in those two playoff series was an extra ball handler. And I think that's why they went him over Gerald Henderson, who was more of a, an Allen Crabb, nothing, you know, a traditional shooting guard who his job is to just get buckets. They probably saw Turner as more of that, Creator. that point forward creator exactly but it does sound like he has his cast off and could return probably within the next week or two which puts portland right on the road um when the injury happened it seemed like it could be for a lot longer i believe he injured it um, against the mavericks back on february 7th so we're looking at you know four to five weeks instead of five to six weeks which was originally uh, diagnosed so that's it's great to hear that evan could return uh portland's got five games on the docket for 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 this week as we mentioned there's a bunch of games jumbled up in march but before we dive into those let's take a quick commercial break from our sponsors Time for most entrepreneurs or small business owners, the very thing that always seems to be in short supply. Tons to do and never enough time to get it all done. The good news is our friends over at FreshBooks feel your pain and have created something to help you reclaim some of that precious time. FreshBooks is a super simple invoicing solution that lets you create slick, professional looking invoices in seconds. Oh, and invoices is only the beginning. FreshBooks will help you manage your expenses, staying on top of who owes you what, and tracking your time the easiest part of your day. If your business keeps you on the move, not to worry. The FreshBooks mobile app can keep up. You can use your camera on your phone to capture receipts while you watch FreshBooks magically create expense reports for you. If you do have questions, contact the award-winning FreshBooks support team and get the help from real live humans. No phone tree, no, I'll just get back to you. Just helpful service at the drop of a hat. Try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. Just go to www.gofreshbooks.com and enter holy backboard in the how did you hear about us section.
right, everybody, welcome back to the Holy Backboard podcast with special guest uh, Brandon Goldner. We are going to uh, look at the next five games for the Trailblazers. Uh, Quick two-game road trip, a back-to-back Monday, Tuesday at the Timberwolves, at the Thunder, and it's two games back at home. The Sixers on Thursday, the Wizards on Saturday, and it's another back-to-back at Phoenix. Tricky game, Sunday, March 12th. Uh, Sage, let's run through these games uh, a little quickly. What are you looking for when you play the Minnesota Timberwolves? A young team who has finally started to pick it up. They've won six of the last 10. They completely destroyed the Utah Jazz by 27 in Utah. Uh, they beat the Nuggets. They beat the Mavericks. And they beat the Chicago Bulls by 28 points as well over that span. Um, beat the Raptors as well. I mean, just looking at these wins, seems like they're finally starting to play up to those preseason expectations. What are you going to be watching out for in that game? I'm going, if I was a coach, I would be picking rolling, pick and rolling a uh, cat to death. He still gets caught in no man's land a lot on defense. So if we're trying to win this game, I think we abuse the pick and roll. Dame finally has a guy that he can run pick and roll with. Let's get some more chemistry and abuse Carl Anthony Towns in the process. I'll just go ahead and second that. And also just to say that Carl Anthony Towns' defense has been pretty disappointing given that he showed quite a bit of potential his rookie year. Doesn't seem to have made that leap that maybe some people are looking for, but yeah, I'm just going to just going to go ahead and agree with everything that you said. It makes my job a lot easier. And so if we're looking at an X factor, not just for this game, but for the remaining of the season, I think it's got to be Al Farouk Aminu. Brandon, you mentioned earlier in the podcast how he has played so well post all-star break and those numbers back it up. You're looking at 13 points, 55% shooting, an incredible 47% from downtown compared to 31% pre all-star break, uh, six and a half boards, and uh, a steal and a block per game. His three-stroke looks like it's returned to last playoff uh, form, and every time he shoots, you expect it to go in instead of not knowing what the hell you're going to get. So I don't know where the variance came from there, but he has been amazing, and he's even been putting the ball on the floor and finishing strong. I think Aminu, especially on these road games, he's going to have to be that third or fourth cog in the offense along with Nurkic um, if Portland is, is to win this one. I think it's going to be tough, even with Zach Levine injured. Uh, Minnesota's just been playing really well. I'm really looking forward to seeing how we defend Carl Anthony Towns uh, because he is such a great passer. Can Nurkic play down strong in the post? And to your point, Sage, earlier, Carl Anthony Towns can go out on the perimeter. How far will Nurkic go out? And if he does, does that leave driving lanes open for guys like you know Wiggins and Ricky Rubio? and uh, Tyus Jones, who has surpassed uh, lottery pick Chris Dunn in that rotation. Man, I thought Chris Dunn was going to be so good. Um, I think he still can be, but this is not a good first year for him. But, hey, players like Gary Harris played like absolute dog shit his first year. But um, they, what's they up? They thought he was going to be good, too. Oh, bro. I, <laughs> he was, he, out of those three guards, he was number one on my list. What what are your thoughts, Sage? Win or loss? I'm going win, which is very weird for me to predict a win after me saying lose for like ten straight games. I think we'll win this one. You branded? I'm going to go for a loss. I'm going to tie it into the game that follows against the Thunder. I think the Blazers are, are. I think they like beating the Thunder. I really do, and I think they're going to look at this Timberwolves game and kind of be like, "Eh, we're playing the Thunder the next day." So I'm going to say a loss against the Timberwolves. Fair enough. I 
have a feeling they're going to win this game as well. We always play Minnesota well. I don't have a, a um, media guide in front of me, but I would say nine times out of ten in Minnesota's history, we we beat the shit out of them. It d- doesn't matter who's on their team, who's on our team. We destroy them. There's a streak where I think we beat them double-digit times consecutively. Um, we're going to find a way to get it done. Like you said, let's pick and roll Cat. Let's make him work on defense. Uh, Levine being out really hurts because he was a deep threat. I think we just need to watch out how we defend Wiggins. Uh, I don't want him to have a similar night like DeRozan had when he got 40 and he got most of it from the foul line. You got to you got to keep really Wiggins good at off. drawing fouls too. Really good. You got to got to keep Wiggy off the foul line. But Dame loves playing Minnesota. Um, CJ had a career night against Minnesota earlier this year. I believe it was in um, it was on New Year's Day. Yeah, CJ had 43 points in a, four, uh, a 95. 89 victory. So I think it's going to be another grinder, but our guards are just better than better than theirs. And now that we have Nurk, I think that nullifies Cat just a little bit. So I got the Blazers in a in a dub. The next night, OKC, the Thunder really struggling right now. They lost. They're about to lose their third in a row to Dallas. Lost to Portland. Lost at home to or lost on the road in Phoenix. And now they're losing on the road in Dallas. This will be their their first game home since uh, February 28th. So looking for some home cooking. I'm not as optimistic as this game as Brandon is. Uh, the Thunder play us so difficult in OKC. I think with OKC, they're kind of suffering from Russellism, where they're hoping Russell just carries them the entire way. They really don't have a ton of talent outside of, of Russell Westbrook, especially with Oladipo hurt. Um, I do love the addition of Taj Gibson. He is the one player who really showed up for them in, in Portland. But I think their bigs are going to get back to doing work. I think they could really give us some troubles on the offensive glass and the second chance points. And Russ is still Russ. He still put up 45 against us. Um, I, th- I think he's going to have a big night. And I think the Oklahoma City Thunder are going get to get that dub. I think, I think Russ is going to have a huge night. I mean, since Victor's out, his usage rate and his scoring, his assists, his rebounds have gone up. Used him in DFS. He's at an all-time high uh, price tag. Still use him. So I think he's going to do well. But I, oh, man. I'm going 2-0 with the Blazers. I feel optimistic. You really think they're going to beat the Thunder? Yeah, I do. We, I, for some reason, they get up for Well, who's going who's gonna to have a big night for us? I, fe- I feel like... Our big two and a half, Dame, CJ, and Nurk, man. Because CJ is the half, right? <laughs> well, obviously, Nurk's two people, and then uh... <laughs> sorry, because <laughs> the last game at OKC, they handled uh, the final score one hundred five ninety nine. Looks close. It wasn't close. We were never really in that game. Um, I know we get up to play them in Portland, but I, the venue plays such such a factor in, in NBA games. True, but hmm, I think Mo Harkless is going to have a surprisingly good night. But I, I, for some reason, I just see see a win. I'd have no no like a, analytics to prove it. It's just a feel thing. But I think Russ goes absolutely bananas. OKC has the third best home record in the Western Conference. They're twenty three and eight. Well, it'll be twenty three and nine. We have <laughs> one of the worst road records. I think it almost boils down to that. So I've got. OKC with the win. Both of you have Portland with um, the win. Portland then comes home to take on the 76ers. I was really excited about having tickets to this game when Embiid was playing well and the, the thought that Simmons You better go return. to this, Pat. You better go to this piece, bro. 
I Gerald would. Henderson homecoming. Come on. Dario Saric, bro. It's going to be a – really if Portland, good. If, if, he's not really fucking good. He's an okay player. He, he puts up really good numbers because there's no one else to do so. Bottom line, I am not looking forward to this game. The Sixers look just awful. They're full tank mode. I thought they'd be maybe making a, a playoff push. If Portland handles business and does it better than they did against Brooklyn, they let Brooklyn hang around way too often. This should be a bloodbath. This should be Portland's first 30-point victory of the season. And this is a game I'm really looking at. Not win or loss. This is a game Portland needs to show me they want to make the playoffs. They need to show me they're ready to make the playoffs. Their focus has to be locked in. There's no reason they shouldn't beat the Sixers by 20-plus right now. Um, oh, shit. Uh, Sergio's... No, who the fuck's starter? It's McCollum now. No, McConnell. EJ yeah. McConnell. Yeah. Robert Covington and Dario Saric are doing really well without Embiid. I mean, they're getting a lot of uh, usage rate just because there's no one else to score. So I think what we have to do is be on our P's and Q's with them. And if that happens, I, I, I say we win that game. Yeah, I I think it's going to be a blowout. I think it's going to be a huge Blazers victory. Um, 76ers, you, you, you both already said it. They don't have enough talent. They don't have any impetus to continue winning at this point. Um, I too am disappointed to not be able to see Embiid in person. Um, but yeah, I think the Blazers are going to run. I think it's me 20 plus point victory for the Blazers. And we have seen Portland take teams lightly. And I think that possibility is there. However, when they did it, a team like Orlando actually had talent. Uh, they had Ibaka at the time. They had Alfred Payton. Uh, they had Aaron Gordon. They had, they had Vucevic. The Sixers are still feel like a D League All Star team um, without without Embiid. So it's, it's going to be tough for I think they'd have to almost play a perfect game in Portland just to really shit the bed for Portland to lose this one. I, I'm not trying to jinx them at all. Portland should win by 20 plus. Um, I think Mo Harkless has has a big night, but that's my guy for Mo Harkless and CJ. CJ hit that game winner last year at home against Philly, so it definitely could happen. We slept on them big time last year in the Rose city. So it could happen. Um, but I've, Ooh, it also will be good to watch Jaleel Okafor go against Nurk because that was the big guy who we almost acquired. We got Nurk. Thank so God. that is a good matchup that I'm, that I'm willing to watch. I, I just, I think Mo Harkless has to have a huge impact on this game, but most of it's like, most of it's defensively. I mean, you've seen Robert Covington just jack it. Cause he has that irrational confidence. We have to make sure that the, the two wings don't get super hot and somehow we lose. Was it Covington who hit the game wing three in Philly? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he has the rational confidence. He's jacking it no matter what. So, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, he's got a rational confidence. He's going to, he's, he's looking to score at any time. That that made me giggle. I'm super immature. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, I, I I audibly giggled. (laughs) <laughs> if, if he's jacking it, then what do you call what we're doing with Nurkic on this podcast? I think you got to call that a Nurkle jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you set that right. up so well. And he thank, had, thank you for teeing. You teed that up so beautifully. I really you, appreciate you that. You hesitated on the I was, swing. I was hoping. I was hoping it'd land. You, were, you hesitated on the swing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Oh, oh, there we go. Okay. Thank God it was such a soft pitch. You could catch up to it. Yeah, that was one of those underhand ones. Yeah. All right, Saturday night in Rip City brings in 
arguably the second best team in the Eastern Conference, the Washington Wizards, after kind of feuding with each other in the media, Bradley Beal and John Wall, they've seemed to have gotten on the same page. They're finally living up to the expectations. Otto Porter all of a sudden looks like a lottery pick from the 2013 draft. Uh, they've got Mark They've got uh, Marcin Gortat. They have all of these pieces, and they're finally putting it together. They are sitting at 37 and 24, third in the, the Eastern Conference, just a one game back in the loss column of the Celtics and two games ahead of the Raptors um, at third. This, again, will be another test for Portland. Um, you wouldn't expect them to beat Washington in Washington, but we've seen them play well against the East Elite at home. Uh, they should have beat the Raptors both times they played them. Uh, the same can go for the Atlanta Hawks, um, the game where Paul Millsap uh, pushed into overtime. And then we're, we've split against the Celtics and the Cavaliers. Uh, the Wizards handed us our ass pretty pretty mm-hmm. good on, on MLK Day um, in, in D.C. So it'll be interesting to see how we play them and how the two backcourts, because I think obviously the backcourts are going to get all of the attention with Beal and Wall versus Lillard and McCollum, um, I think the case whenever you play the Washington Wizards is how do you take care of the basketball? The Wizards are always at the top of the league enforcing turnovers, and John Wall is one of the fastest players baseline to baseline in the entire NBA. So fast break points to me are going to be key. Can Portland not only you know mitigate that, can they possibly win the fast break advantage because we've seen Nurk's not afraid to take it coast to coast. Damon CJ seem a little bit revitalized. And then you've got athletes everywhere with, you know, Aminu, Vonley and, and Mo Harkless. So can Portland actually be the ones to initiate the, the tempo of this game? I mean, it, it all starts with John Wall. How do we handle him? I mean, he, he has the skills to, to kill us on so many facets. He's super quick. I think it's backcourt versus backcourt, but, I think Nurk is going to have a pretty big game because he has a he has a pretty big responsibility with guarding Gortat, and then he has to he has to score against that that I mean Gortat and Morris aren't the most scary front line. He has to abuse that. Yeah, and I mean Washington is an interesting team. I mean, as you said earlier, Dustin, they've kind of righted the ship. But it, it, it's odd. So they you know they lost the Seventy Sixers. A couple days later, they beat the Warriors. Um, when they are coming into Portland for this game, they will have been uh, kind of right in the middle of a road trip. Although a lot of those teams are not super, uh, super good teams. They will be on the second night of a back-to-back on the road when they meet the Blazers in Portland. So for that reason alone, I'm going to give Portland the edge. Um, in different circumstances, I might give it to Washington. They have more to play for. They're starting to click. Uh, you know, they're, they're trying to, you know, get playoff positioning and with Toronto and even Cleveland slipping a little bit, they may see an advantage there. Um, but because of where they're going to be on their road trip, I'm going to say that Portland has the advantage in this one. I think the wizards take this one. And I think it's because of Boyan Bogdanovich, the acquisition, um, acquired from the Brooklyn Nets in his last five games, he's put up 15, 16, 27, six and 27 points. He gets scored. Uh, he is lights out from three. He went eight of 10 uh, last game against the Magic, six of seven on the first against the Raptors. And he is shooting lights out. Um, if we're worried about Robert Covington going off against us for Philadelphia, we need to watch out for Bogdanovich because not only it's not just Bradley Beal anymore. They have got some some real weapons, Otto Porter included. So if Portland is 
unable to keep John Wall in front of them, that is going to be um, a pain point for this Blazer defense because he's either going to be able to dump it off to Gortat inside, Markeith Morris for that mid-range, and we all know the Morris brothers kill the Blazers every fucking time they play us, or he's got shooters lined up around the outside. So it's all going to depend on how Portland defends John Wall, and I think number one is keeping him out of the paint. Yeah, I did I did some research on MLE targets. I wanted to have Bodanovich on our team, but he just can't play defense at all. So I ignored him. But he, oh, well he's, he's getting paid much more than that now. Definitely. But I I, I did that at like the trade deadline. Oof. He could score like a beast though. Who's what's your pick, Sage? Uh it's in Portland. Mm-hmm. Am I going for a... You know what? I'm going to be super optimistic. I think we win. Was there something in that mac and cheese you ate? Uh... I, 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 well, I had a good lunch, so I feel like I'm more happy about that life. Okay. But no, I, so I, you've, got us, you've got us going 4-0 so far. Yeah, I know. I, I was shocked. But you know okay. what? Fuck it. Let's roll. Last, Playoffs last or game. bust, damn it. <laughs> Last game of, of the week, and it starts the first of Portland's last extended road trip of the year. It's a five-game stretch. Uh, it's a back-to-back for both Portland and Phoenix. It's in the Valley of the Sun um, at 6 p.m. on Sunday, March 12th. Phoenix is a team that is finally starting to hit their stride. They're doing what every lottery team does at some point in the season. We've saw we've seen the Miami Heat win 13 straight. Uh, we've seen the, the Magic put together a couple wins. Same thing with the Timberwolves. Now it's Phoenix's turn. Uh, they've won three straight games all at home against the, they beat the Hornets by 17, the Thunder by seven. And then Tyler Eulis just had a huge mm. play today against the Celtics in a wacky finish where Isaiah Thomas misses a, a free throw that would have put them up three. Bledsoe goes coast to coast, gets a bucket to tie it up. Inbounds pass gets fu- um, fumbled. Eulis picks it up, step back three. Boom. You're looking at a 109-106 victory for the Suns. Uh, Three-game winning streak. They have two more games at home on this stretch. Then they go to Dallas on Saturday and then back to face Portland on Sunday. So like I said, both teams will be on the second night of a back-to-back. However, Phoenix is a team that no matter how good or bad they are, it's it's a low-key house of horror for, mm-hmm. for Portland. I think we always look at you know Dallas or, or Houston or maybe even OKC. Um, Phoenix is, is, is sneakily on, on that list of places I just never looked forward to playing i mean you go back to even that year we beat the rockets that season started out with a loss and against a real bad phoenix team didn't yeah yeah, yeah. i actually remember that uh, I, I think that they finally realized that the bledsoe booker backcourt finally works that Yulis is looking like a decent rotation piece so i, I think it's guard versus guard for some reason i just think devin booker is going to get extremely hot so I think the Suns are going to win, and I just cannot make myself go 5-0. and So they'll go 4-1 and and lose to the Suns, and Espo will be very happy. Yeah, it's going to be tough because even when they had Brandon Knight uh, playing a ton of minutes. They have Brandon Knight. It's just a bad contract now. Exactly, but like you said, it's more Bledsoe Booker. Mm. But again, we're going to talk about this kind of ad nauseum. Portland must keep Eric Bledsoe out of the paint. And if you force them to shoot three-pointers and you go under the screens you have to adjust if they start hitting those shots because last year and this year they've done that in, in games against Portland um their backcourt has outperformed ours at times 
Um, Devin Booker is a big liability on on offense if you're looking at Portland because you cannot leave him open. Like he is one of the best young shooters in the game. And the Marquis Chris, their young big, has shown a lot of potential. Um, they did move PJ Tucker at the deadline, which helps Portland because he always gave us fits. But they I still think this got is PJ be a, Warren. They still have TJ Warren, who is the master of the mid-range game. I think they lose as well. Uh Brandon, what are you looking for in this game? Well, I was going to say the Blazers are going to pick it up, but then I realized that I would also be putting them in a, on a four and one road trip eh, with how the Blazers have been doing this year. I just, I can't do it. So I'm going to say this has been, this is going to be a loss for them. And as you said earlier, Phoenix on their first three game, win, three game winning streak of the season. So congratulations to Phoenix fans having something to cheer for. Um, also, uh, uh, there was a report that the Blazers were targeting a uh, sun center uh, Tyson Chandler um, during the trade deadline. And when they couldn't get him, they actually pivoted and went toward Nurkic. So will there be a little bit of something that, no, there's not going to be any emotional temperature <laughs> there at all, but no, I uh, just decided Tyson, the- Tyson could make it. Tyson could bring it there almost whenever he wants. I, I don't think he's been playing. I think Alex Len started and a dude named Alan Williams. Has yes. Been, he's been playing well. Yeah. He's been on my DFS roster a lot. He's like a six, eight center <laughs> dude. I mean, Hey, I'm not watching the Suns without DFS in- incentives, so I know Alan Williams just because of that. Uh, but he he also already gets he puts up numbers. Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm going to go for a loss just because I can't see them going four and one. So so you both have them going four and one. I think I'm at three and two with that loss. Okay, I'm at two and three. Sage, you're at four and one. I I could honestly see in the universe we go four and one. No, I feel good. To, uh, I'm I'm good this day. I'm good this. Day. Um, of of these five games coming up. Can Nurk keep it up? Um, we're we're all super stoked on him. Is it a honeymoon phase, or is this? Are we in, are we going to get into a long term relationship? Are we going to get committed, Sage? I think we have to. I mean, I'm, no, there's no have to. You can move. Like, are we going to get as fans? Are we going to get committed to him? Are we going to want to tie that gown? I, I think we we as fans have already tied the gown. It's just, can he keep it up? I mean, I, that that Mason Plumlee trade was the most like reasonable I've ever seen Blazers fans. Like, oh, I get it. We love Mason Plumley, but we can't afford him. I get it. That was the first time I saw because when Tim Frazier got kicked or cut because he was an unrestricted free agent, there was pandemonium in the streets. I, I, like, I, Just to say, if you look at how Tim Frazier's been playing since then and consider that he was friends with Damian Lillard and consider how well the players who stayed on the team in lieu of him being cut had played since then, I think I think that that's you know it's pretty reasonable to be quasi upset about the Tim Frazier thing, but you're right. Uh, the Nurkic trade. I think that that's one of those maybe not rare, but it's one of those times where both teams got something good from that. And I, I think I think both Denver and Portland can look at that trade and, and feel pretty good about it moving forward. Yeah, I mean like Nurk, there was no way, no way Nurk was going to become the player he's been in the last five games on a team with Nikolai Jokic. Both of them fighting for minutes at center because neither of them are power forwards in this NBA. So I mean, they just did us a super solid. We did them a super solid, giving them uh Will Barton because there was no way he was gonna become the dude he is. So I mean, hey, they just gave us the solid back. Quick tip before we sign off, uh, Demir, former coworker and uh, listener of the podcast, said. Uh, Russell Westbrook picked up his 16th technical tonight, which means he'll be out for the Blazer game Tuesday unless it is rescinded. So keep your eye on that one. That's so, a good bit of news there. Yeah. So if that actually happens, we're winning. Yeah. I mean, like, 
Trust dealing with that tackle shit is a motherfucker, bro. <laughs> well, didn't Boogie have like a was, large number of handful rescinded before he finally got suspended? That last one was absolute horseshit, and I'll say it on this podcast. No, like it was some bullshit. Like if like if Anthony Davis got into the same thing with Steven Adams, there would be nothing. It wouldn't be a non cow because of how Boogie has been betrayed. By the bullshit industry, <laughs> he gets played by a whole different set of rules. And yes, I love him. Welcome to 2000 with Rasheed Wallace. Oh, I, sh- I got that vibe so hard with, oh, I saw Rasheed do this. Oh, man. I love Boogie Cousins, though. All right. Any last thoughts before we, we sign off for the night? Mm. Brandon, tell our listeners where they can find you at. Uh, they can find me at Pinwheel Empire for Blazers stuff. And for NBA stuff, you can find me at 16 Wins a Ring. And also check me out on Twitter at GoldnerPDX. What are you doing at Pinwheel? I'm doing social media stuff and doing memes, you know, fo- bad photoshops, the uh, the Nurkic and the Missy Elliott uh, music video thing, the uh, is it worth it? Yusuf Nurkic, put the ball down. To middle of- ah, damn it. Couldn't even do it. Couldn't Clip even it do in it. reverse it. There we go. Oh, I made it through the whole podcast without fumbling. But yeah, so I'm just I'm having fun there doing social media stuff basically. That's awesome. Very cool. And you can find this podcast on iTunes at Holy Backboard. Subscribe. Give us that five star rating if you like what you're hearing. We're also on Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play at Holy Backboard PDX and social media, Facebook, Twitter, and the gram at Holy Backboard. Thanks again, Brandon, for joining us. Sage, once again for producing this. Let's